The Classic Comics Forum Podcast presents issue number 28, The Avengers number 211 to 230, The Fall of Yellowjacket, part 2. Welcome back to the Classic Comics Forum Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Scott Harris-King, and in this episode, I am once again joined by special guest ICC Trombone to discuss the classic, controversial, and infamous Avengers storyline, The Fall of Yellowjacket, which ran from Avengers numbers 211 to 230. Last time, ICC Trombone and I discussed the history of Hank Pym, and we talked about Avengers numbers 211 to 213, in which we saw Hank Pym suddenly become a sort of deranged jerk, and then get court-martialed by the Avengers for his actions, resulting in infamous issue 213, where he hit his wife, the Wasp, and then tried to save his reputation by staging a fake attack on the Avengers. Unfortunately, of course, it all went terribly wrong, and at the end of the issue, he was left in disgrace and, and left the team. Uh, this time around, we'll be discussing issues 214 to 220, as writer Jim Shooter and a rotating stable of artists dig into the character fallout from the events of issues 211 to 213, but we'll actually be starting with a little bit more about 213, because there's just so much to talk about with that issue that we couldn't quite fit it all in in the first episode. So we're going to jump right into that now as we discuss the uh, few last notes on issue 213 and then we'll talk about issues 214 to 220. So I hope you enjoy and we'll see you on the other side. I still got some things to say about 213. Yeah, yeah. Please, yeah, go ahead. Look, I just want to add a couple of things about this. You know, I, you know, the thing I love about Marvel, the thought balloons. The thought balloons tells you everything. Because somebody could be you know, doing something, but what they're internally thinking is more important than what you're seeing. There's a point where, with you know, the court martial, before the, first of all, before, the, before I get to that, the court martial is very interesting because they bring him up on charges. Like the first page, you see him like standing in front of all of them and he's saying, well, we're going to bring you up on charges and this and that. And you, you understand, you know, okay. And then, and then like he understands it, and then like, well, you have to turn in your badge and your Avengers stuff. And he's like, there's a moment where he goes, I have to turn this in, you know, almost like he's crushed, you know, like they, he, he, that's when he realizes, wow, this is really serious. They're taking my Avengers credentials away. Well, she, he goes with Dan, and she starts jumping all over him, smothering him, and he gets kind of feisty. But then he realizes, oh, I'm sorry, I'm scared, this and that. So now after that, the Avengers, they all go their separate ways because I think the court marshals will follow week or whatever. And they start internally thinking, okay, do I have a right to judge him? And Captain America begins to think, well, there was a time in World War II where it looked like I was going to die and I just started fighting everybody and took off my uniform, my 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 uh, my, my army greens. And I just, when I, wanted to, if I was going to go out, I was going to go out at Captain America. So he starts fighting and everything. And at the last second when everybody's down, he hears the sound, he throws a shield, and he just misses this young little kid collecting cans. And he says to himself, do I have a right to judge this guy on a mistake when I made a mistake too? And, I, and you know, should I just let him go, drop it and whatever? And he was like, well, you know, then he, he comes to the point where he says, well, but still, we're the Avengers and we can't just let mistakes go. We have to address them and this and that. So 
which is interesting because that comes back to him a couple of times in this whole run where he says, where he feels guilt when things blow up. Because, I mean, it's just a court martial, which is supposed to be, they come to give him the charges, he answers it, and they decide to let him off because it looked like everybody was going to let him off. They all, they all kind of in, internally saying, uh, you know, we're just going to go through this thing and we can't judge him because, you know, whatever. We're just going to, we wish this whole thing went away. Matter of fact, Tiger says, I don't even know this guy. Why should I be sitting in on him, on judgment on him? And, you know, can I just say not guilty and leave? And Iron Man goes, of course you can. And then his, intern, and then his thought balloon says, because I would have done the same already, you know? So you kind of get the buildup, building up to this one trial where they're going to let him off. And then he starts acting like a nut. <laughs> you know, he just comes in, he's, he's, oh, yeah, the reason you're bringing me up on charges is because Captain America was attracted to this woman, right? You saw this woman and you, you, you just wanted to be with her. And that's what you're really mad at. And, and there's a point, it just, Bob Hall was an amateur at this point, but there's one panel that's just perfect. Wait, he starts raving, and you see the, the, the drawing is closing in more and more on his mouth as he's raving. And then when they pull back, you see all the Avengers like sitting at the table. One person has his head down. Captain America is looking like with, a, with like a side view, and somebody else is like kind of looking away. And they're like all ashamed. You know, they're all like stunned and embarrassed and ashamed that he went there, and they're stunned. And it's just a perfect shot. Again, he didn't have his talent yet. But that one panel, he nailed it. I was like, "Wow! Look at look at them. They're all embarrassed. They they're like shocked that he went that went there." And again, the internal dialogue before he goes crazy is that that giving the charges. Well, this is what happened: a, a, a combatant put down, stop fighting, and you reignited this and that and this and that. And what what's your answer to that? And before he answers, the thought balloon says, "I can't tell him that it was my pride. That I, out of pride, I can't tell him that I made a mistake." And it, it was just a mistake and I didn't mean to, but you know, so he, he kind of like, what he's thinking is I know I blew it. And I, and, and I, you know, I didn't do it on purpose and my pride is not gonna let me admit that I blew it. That's, that's the magical marvel that you always got, not just what was happening, but what people were thinking, which is like, you know, human life. We do things and we, but afterwards we go, man, why did I do that? You know, how come I couldn't just shut up? You know, whatever. So it, the, the issue, the build up to that robot attacking is just, it's amazing. It just kind of, you can see it spiraling out of control. You know, this is not where they thought it was going to go. And they thought it was just going to be okay, charges and we suspend you for a week or whatever. You know, and this, this went, just went crazy. I mean, of course, when they find out that he hit Jan and she has a, a black eye, it makes things even worse. Because then Thor says, did he strike you? You know, and, and, and that's when he summons the robot and it's a stupid plan. Like, I love Lucy plan, you know, <laughs> it doesn't work, so. But it's just so much, it's, it's almost like everything culminating to this big blow up and, and, and it blows up and he leaves and they're surprised they let them leave. You know, Thor tells them this is a, this is a base plan and you know, how, could, how do you think you're gonna get away with this? And he just like, just has his head down. It's like, a, I guess I'll go now, you know, and he leaves. It's just amazing and amazing a blow up in this issue, you know? Yeah, it's a great issue. Um, it's interesting you just mentioned the end of it where he's like, I guess I'll go now and he he wanders off. It's it's a great scene, but then you do kind of scratch your head and like oh, they're just gonna let him like walk off, I guess. Uh what I found particularly interesting about that is in the next issue, so you'll jump to two fourteen, um, we have an even stranger ending where they do the same thing, but um with the ghost rider. But before we get to that part. At the beginning of 214, they immediately address the fallout from this 213, where Hank goes 
back to the house and he talks to Jan and she immediately is like, I'm getting a divorce. Um, and she offers to like get him some money and stuff. So, he, and he's like, no, no, again, it's his pride. He says, I've got my patents. I got my books. I'm fine. But he doesn't, he's completely broke and he wanders off. And then after, whereas he's leaving, she has this thing where she's like, it's a, it's a little more final and she's worried about him, you know, and uh, it's, there's some great character work throughout the storyline. Again, I mentioned earlier, I think this is the most mature storyline that, that I've read in comics up to that point in comics. When this is coming out uh, in like 81, nothing I've read from before then is nearly as mature as this. I mean mature in the best possible way. Than what you're used to. And, and I mean, I, I would dare say, I don't know if I read of, of, of an issue where, you know, two people get divorced and the, the, the hero. I mean, you're seeing a marriage fall apart and it's not simple. It's, it's, it's dirty. Hey, look, the end of everything is dirty. That's just the way life is. The end of everything is always ugly. And, 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 and she's, you know, she tells him right away, I'm getting divorced, which I thought that was kind of, I don't know, that, that also was kind of jarring. I, I don't know why she came up with that. No therapy, no nothing. Just, I'm divorcing you. From a Marvel perspective, from a Jim Shooter specifically perspective, I've wondered a couple points in this. We're going to see this again, and I have some notes on next issue, 215. But there's a couple things in here that, to me, seem like Jim Shooter responding to the controversy over issue 200. So mm -hmm. in 200, they had this thing where Ms. Marvel gets mind-controlled by this guy, and it's essentially raped and impregnated. And then at the end, the Avengers just let her go off with this guy. And they just got absolutely killed by the fans and the comics media. And then Chris Claremont wrote Avengers Annual 10 sort of as a rebuttal to that. And yeah. there was things in here in this issue and the next issue and, and a couple issues times where it felt like Shooter was having was being very careful to um, when stuff was happening to the female characters to have them react in a much larger way. And I wonder if some of this is him reacting to all the criticism that they justifiably got for issue 200, which he co-wrote. I guess that's one way to go. I guess, you know, all these comic books and all stories, they're all forks in a row. You could go to the right, you could go to the left. You know, you could do what you want with the character. You know, what people complain about is that They'll say, oh, that, that character wouldn't have done that, you know. We don't know. You know, I mean, people, you know, we don't, again, you said it perfectly before. It's kind of jarring. A lot of things are jarring about this. I don't know if she was fed up because they want to do revisionist history and say, well, she was always supporting him, a weak, you know, fragile guy, and I never saw that. But, I mean, if that's the way they want to go with the story, then they're going to do it. But, you know, I thought that her just getting a divorce, a quick one in Dominican Republic, I was like, wow, you know. But just getting to the point where, you know, what, what you mentioned that she, she offered him the money and his pride decided, you know, I, I can't take money from you. That sets up a lot of things. That sets up a lot of bad things. Just to, just to throw, you know, other things from the issue. I mean, it's, you know, this, the main story is the Ghost Rider and they, you know, there's stuff, the parallels to that too. But that's just that, you know, they're, they are, they're not just walking away. They, they, Tony Stark meets Donald Blake, you know, a door at the World Trade Center when it was still up. And they just, you know, he says, well, what are you going to do? And, you know, and, and Blake says, well, I'm not a psychologist, but maybe he needs therapy and whatever. And she goes, yeah, I'll, I'll pay. Tony says, I'll pay for the therapist and, and, you know, to help this guy. You know, we're not just going to abandon the guy. So he walks away the previous issue, but they're not washing their hands. They're saying, well, you know, this was our teammate and, you know, Jan's husband, and we're not just going to abandon the guy. We have to do something to help him. 
which I, which I kind of like. It wasn't like he just walks away and, oh, well, you know, what's next on the agenda? You know, <laughs> they, they're actually helping him. So that is good. I agree. I love the character work here. Uh, it, I started to say this earlier, and I, and I didn't finish formulating my thought, but not only is this the most mature storyline that I can remember in comics up to this point, it's actually a lot more mature than most of the so-called mature readers stuff that came after it. So, you know, later in the 80s, we get all this like sex and violence and all this over the top stuff. But the stuff we have in this Avengers storyline is like actually mature adults, like real world. Because the thing is, this story isn't about heroes. It's about people. It's about the people that are inside the costume. It's about the friendships and the relationships between the people that happen to also be the original Avengers and how they uh, deal with all sorts of um, unexpected uh, things. You know, it's like, yes, the Hank and Jan are directly dealing with the end of their marriage, but we get this very interesting stuff where we see the other characters that are dealing with, they don't know what to do. And it's like, you know, I have friends, I'm at that age, you know, you go through these cycle, these age parts of your life. You know, when I was 30, I was going through the part of my life where all my friends were getting married and now that I'm in my mid-40s, I'm at the point in my life where my friends are all getting divorced. Yeah. And, like, I've been in the same situation that these people – I mean, just this year I've been in the same situation that these people were in where, like, you have friends and you're friends with both of them and they get a divorce and you don't know what you're supposed to do. And yeah. so this is just – it's great. It's just the writing is so good. Sometimes Shooter takes liberties with the characters in terms of how they're – they've previously been established in order to get to what he's trying to do. But what he's trying to do is really, really good. I happen to think Jim Shooter is one of the top writers in comics of all time. And, and I follow, I used, I always started following him from book, from company to company to company. And I found all this stuff to be superb, you know, and, 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 I, and just to say, it's interesting that you mentioned about the mature uh, reader and, and, and those themes. I think the fact that it wasn't uh, all like no holds bar comic book, they still had a comics code and they didn't just want to throw sex and violence into it, that they were more folk. They had to more focus on, on the actual, the, the pathos of the characters and, and what was happening to them. And, and there's, there's, there's something that the Avengers always had where they didn't have, they didn't have, they didn't have a right to a certain, to like pretty much their whole history, maybe to this point, they didn't interfere with each other's lives to the point where they didn't even know each other's identity. It isn't until like a couple issues now from now, they they find out after all years. Oh, Tony Stark is Iron Man. You know they don't they don't know. So what comes with that is that you don't interfere with their with their business. You know, like if, if Tony Stark becomes alcoholic, you know you don't know what to do. That's his business. You know, sort of. You know what I mean? Like that. that and, and that's what happens here. There's a there's a scene to, before in, the, in issue two twelve where where they go to confront the Elf Queen, where he's screaming at like wasp and the Avengers look at each other and go like, uh, what do we do? You know, and he goes, nothing, you know, you know, like they're like, they're like, it's awkward. And they don't really don't know. There's a married couple, but they're also in the Avengers. And, and, and I think, uh, they get into a fight and they leave wasp behind and yellow jacket is like, let's go, you know, beaver. And they don't know what to do. So, you know, again, the whole thing about not interfering and that comes to play in the future issues too, because there there are points where you should you should confront. Like you have a friend, sometimes you have to confront your friend, and it's yeah. not cool, but sometimes you have to. But they they had this thing where this is a superhero club, and well, we're only here to beat up Kang, 
And then afterwards, I'm going home. You know what I mean? I, I, I hope you're doing okay, but I can't interfere in your life. And it should have been more. It should have been more because yeah. you guys, they bonded together and they, they should have cared. I, I guess they should have did something about that rule where you don't interfere or whatever because, you know, it's, I mean, again, it's just awesome that you see that. You see that they don't even know what they, they're, they're like stunned. They don't, they're two married couple fighting and nobody knows what to say. Yeah. So just real quick with 214, because I want to get right into 215 cause, and 16, because we have exactly what you're talking about, where we get into some of their um, personal lives and their secret identity stuff. Uh, but you mentioned in 214, the main story is about Ghost Rider, and, and it's kind of, it's irrelevant mostly, but Jim Shooter actually has Captain America in the story comment on the fact that this story is another sort of mirror that he's holding up as a parallel to Hank Pym, where we have... The Ghost Rider, uh, Johnny Blaze, he can no longer control himself as Ghost Rider. And so when he gets angry, he, he goes turns into a, like a literal rage monster and then and goes berserk. And Captain America is like this, you know, this is kind of like what's happening with with um, Hank. Uh, and we're going to see this again. He, he brings up the same sort of parallel later with Drax the Destroyer. So that was interesting. I thought it was part of me thought it was more interesting that he actually had Captain America say it, um, because in some of these other ones, he doesn't really make it that obvious that he's doing a parallel. I think at the beginning of that issue, it opens with Captain America working on the gym and like just going crazy and destroying everything. And you could tell he's mad because I'm the guy who brought up one of the charges and look what happened, you know, and he's going crazy. And it comes to a point where Jarvis talks to him. He says, look, you know, the American dream, he tells, talks to him about, you know, you can't, you have to let people become what they're going to become and you can't fix anything. You know, he had to make a choice and we know Tank Pym's going to come back because he has a spirit and he's going to come back from this and whatever. And he kind of calms Cap- Captain America down because Captain America, you know, he's, he's always has a speech ready, but this is one where he's like, man, you know, like this is kind of my fault. You know, I, I brought him up on charge and the guy went up on defense and now his marriage is done. He's kind of kind of taking it all on himself and saying it's all my fault. I should have yeah. just let it go. You well, know, it's interesting. Yeah. So that speech is interesting that Jarvis gets him because then at the end of the issue, it comes back around where yeah. they've Ghost Rider has turned back into Johnny Blaze and the Avengers are like, well, you're going to have to figure it out. We can't take care of everything like Big Brother, like Jarvis was saying. And they just wander off. Uh, and leave the Ghost Rider just sitting on the ground there. And I was like, what are you doing? The guy just went berserk and like tried to kill everybody. The actual excuse is, well, he, he turned back into Johnny Blaze. And Johnny Blaze didn't do anything. Ghost Rider yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> just, it's crazy. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's talk a little bit about 215 and 216. There's this two-parter with the Molecule Man. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this because it, most of it doesn't directly relate to the Hank Pym stuff, but this is a favorite story of mine. Um, I've always loved this two-parter. There are a couple things here. It starts off with a sequence that I think goes on way too long with Tigra sort of wandering around town and being basically sexually harassed by a number of different random strangers. Um, that well, sequence you know, just... The way you're dressed, as one of the people say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like someone like grabs her butt and then the cop that sees it is like, you're asking for it for being dressed like that. And to me, this read like Jim Shooter wanting to write an opportunity to have Tigra 
tell them they're wrong as basically as a defense of what he wrote in issue 200. Again, I might be wrong, but that sequence to me went on way too long. I didn't, I thought that was unnecessary. Well, maybe they want, I mean, there's another way of looking at it. This is the, the two part of where essentially at the end they dump Tigra, right? I mean, yeah. so they want to show you what she's about, what she, you know, and, and, and you said, you pointed before that she's not cut out to be an Avenger. You know, but so they want to give you everything about her and where she's coming from. I mean, yeah, I don't know anything about the character. I just love the Alan Weiss art. <laughs> well, the Alan Weiss art is great. It's really great. I love the cover of 216 where Molecule Man is sleeping and he's got the stuffed Molecule Man doll like in under his arm. <laughs> yeah, you know, he did he did some nice work there. I tell you, is it, it, it that, that's an interesting thing. I remember years ago we had a, a classic Christmas, uh, the favorite runs or whatever, and I picked one of these. I picked this. But I mentioned, I, I forget the, the total stats, but this is a weird arc where they changed the writers like four times. They changed the artists like six, seven times. And it's just, there's, there's some books that felt like filler issues. It, it was just weird that I, I have so much love for this run. And yet it did everything it could to not to like derail. Because usually a, a run that people love has the same artist and writer the whole way down. And that's what makes it nice. But this one, despite... Some of the amateurish art that you saw here and there, I mean, it still resonated because the writing was that strong. You know? Yeah, it, it is weird. There's like a different artist on almost every story throughout yeah. this whole arc. Every issue or two I issues. There's a, you think it was a, like a deadline thing, you know? I don't know what it was. I mean, he's the editor-in-chief, so he can put anybody on the book that he wants to have draw it. And so I don't know why he was deciding on the people he was bringing in because... It was weird. Um, Plot-wise, it's basically uh, Silver Surfer's there. Molecule Man um, gets inspired by Re Silver Surfer to become Galactus, and he tries to eat the planet. The Avengers try and stop him, and they fail spectacularly, except for, at the end, Tigra sort of actually saves the day because she basically just talks to him about why he feels like such a loser and convinces him to go seek therapy. And so he gives up. That's the only reason they win is because Tigra talks him into giving up. And then she quits the team. There were a couple things I wanted to talk about in here though. Um, as part of this story, the one part there's that really touches on the arc we've been going through with Hank and Jan is um, in several issues. Now we've had Tony Stark and uh, Don Blake, they know each other's identities. They've known each other's identities for a long time. It's been a plot point in previous Avengers stories as far back as in my memory in issue 113. It's an important plot point that they know each other's secret identities. That's the first time they acknowledge it. Yeah. They run past each other and go, hey, if you see Tony Stark in that room, tell him hi. So they like wink at each other. It's like, oh, we both. Yeah. But no, but but uh, everybody knows that Steve Rogers is Captain America, but they haven't told him their secret identity. And so in this story, they learn a secret identity. And I, I thought that was really important to the theme of this story as a whole, because it's not about the heroes. It's about the people inside the costumes. And I think he needed to have them all know who each other, who they really are. And there's a line there where when they when he finds out, I think it's Tony Stark who's like, I feel pretty, pretty silly uh, in retrospect that I didn't tell you this a long time ago because why am I keeping this secret? Yeah, it, it comes into play too in a future issue. It because, does, and um, in a big way because I mean, you know, I don't want to. Uh, let's save that for two twenty four because yeah. I think two twenty four might be 
even though there's like no superhero stuff in it, it might be the best issue of the whole series of Avengers. It's like it's so good. But you know we'll what? I, think, I think so too. I think that might be one of the. Uh, there's about of this twenty issue run. There's about three, three or four issues where I go. That's a that's the major issue right there. That's a major issue. And you're right. But anyway, let's get to where we get to. Yeah. Anyway. So the other thing that's just a note here doesn't really come into play in this arc, but it's really important going forward for Marvel as a whole is at the end of the storyline, um, Captain America uh, and Iron Man, who is in a civilian identity, Tony Stark, because Molecule Man destroys his armor, they get in an argument about whether they should kill Molecule Man because Tony's like the only, he's so powerful, while we have the chance, we have to kill him because he can destroy all of reality. And Steve Rogers is like, we don't have the right to do that. And they they almost come to blows over it. And that's when right when Tiger interrupts them. But this argument between them becomes a fundamental argument that continues in not just in the comics, but in the movies right up to the present day. We see it, especially in Operation Galactic Storm, in issue whatever that was, 347, where they have this exact argument when Tony leads a group of Avengers to kill the Supreme Intelligence. But then, of course, that divide then basically leads to civil war and everything after it. And we, we've we seen them argue about things before during the Korvac saga. They had a couple big arguments, but not like this. This is like a fundamental difference of viewpoints that is important to, to Marvel. And, and we really see it here in, the, in this one page of this story. This might be the first time that this is actually, this subject is, uh, is brought up. Because before this, everybody's goody two shoes, and nobody would think, "Oh, we gotta kill him." Everybody would go, "Oh, what can we do? We have to imprison him," you know. And and, and but this is the first time, and you're right; it does come to play uh, other times. Most notably, Fantastic Four issued a burn run where where Galactus comes in and he's weaker, and all every like hero attacks him. Like the Avengers, Fantastic Four, Doctor Strange, they all go at him, and the only reason they defeat him is because he's weak. But anyway, it comes to a point where like where we have to kill him. And and and, and Rich, Richards goes, we can't kill him. We have to save him. So it kind of and they allude to this issue. They say, well, we had the same argument before about Molecule Man. And and you're right. That's probably the first time that it it, you could see that Tony Stark is a little more cold and more more realistic than the other the other characters are. Because in, in 1965, they would all agree, oh, we got to save him. Nobody would have came up with, uh, we got to yeah. kill him. You know. I mean, he, Tony even tells him, look, you could take me in afterwards, but I'm killing him. Captain America, like you have to get through me first, you know. Yeah, so it is a very interesting uh, little thing there that they throw in there. But before we move on to the next issue, there's actually something else here that I think is really important about these issues that I wanted to mention that I, I've never really thought about until now, but I think points out again um, how excellent the writing is by Jim Shooter here, because Molecule Man and his interaction with Tigra at the end of two sixteen in particular is another parallel. Uh, with the storyline with Hank Pym, we've been seeing a lot of these parallels. We're going to see a lot more. But if you look at Molecule Man, he's basically uh, a guy who has some mental health issues. And he uh, is basically a failure in everything. And he's taking that out on the people around him, on the world, his frustrations. And so that's obviously a clear par parallel with Hank Pym, but more importantly is actually the role that Tigra plays here in this story, and I think she really justifies her inclusion in the comic here. As we mentioned earlier, Jim Shooter had said that Tigra was in the book to sort of show that not everyone could actually be a, an Avenger, and she does that, but I think she actually uh, 
that plays a much more important thematic role here with the conversation that she has with the Molecule Man at the end of this issue. Because basically what happens is that she has this conversation with the Molecule Man where she points out this exact thing, that he's, that he's a loser who is just, you know, beating up on people. And it makes him realize his shortcomings. And at the end of the issue, he agrees to go into therapy to address his problems. At the time she's doing this, as we've mentioned before, the Avengers are actually arguing amongst themselves about whether to kill him because they only have this superhero mode where there's, they can beat him up. That's the only solution that they have to anything. And I think what happens here is Tigra, yes, she shows that she's, in the, at the same moment she shows she's not cut out to be an Avenger, she shows why the Avengers have a shortcoming with their thought process because they only have one way of looking at things. And if they had taken the tack of just talking to Hank Pym about his problems earlier, all of this could have been avoided, but they don't have that mindset. And I think that's what happens here. It's a it's a great lesson that Tigra is showing that um, ties back into this idea that the Avengers have this uh, flaw where they they don't treat each other like people. They only treat each other as superheroes. And it leads to these sort of communication breakdowns because they're all hands off with everything. Tigra's showing here that if you are hands-on, if you become involved with people's lives and treat them as people, that you can solve some of these issues through conversation instead of just fighting. So at the same time that she's showing she, you know, is not superhero material because she doesn't think like a superhero, she's showing that she's actually a much better person than the other Avengers. She's just much better at being a person and interacting with people on a personal level, which is the only reason the world is saved here. It's a real object lesson to the Avengers on how they can improve things. And again, uh, just excellent writing from Jim Shooter here. Uh, just really on a technical writing level, there's so many levels to everything he's doing. It's not just the plot. There's a, a bunch of layers and uh, it's just it's just really top notch. All right, so let's talk about 217 because now we're back to the main storyline here. We get... The return of Hank Pym, it's a focus on him. Um, we actually start off with, we get the first appearance of uh, Fabian Stankiewicz, who is a favorite <laughs> character for yeah. Avengers fans. Um, we'll see him again. That was fun. But the main thing is um, we get huge character development here. Jan comes back to active duty and she immediately, as we talked about earlier, is like, I'm going to be the new team leader. You should all vote for me. I'm going to take over as Avengers leader. And the, other Avengers, which at this point it's just Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man, they're like, uh, oh, okay, sh okay. Uh, Shanghai didn't do it. And you know, before, right before that, she walks in and says, oh, yeah, I just got divorced. So, like, that's how fast it happened. So, yeah, he went from I'm divorced to make me the team leader. And they, they went with it. I mean, what could they say, you know? So, I we get that. And then we then we go over to Hank and we get the beginning of the rest of his storyline, which is that he basically hits rock bottom. He's desperate for money. His arch nemesis Egghead shows up and Egghead gives him the sob story about how he's reformed and he just wants to do one nice thing and give his niece this prosthetic arm because, of course, in a previous storyline, he had blown off his niece's arm. And so he was like, 
she doesn't trust me, but she'll trust you. And so Hank basically is desperate and he's, I got the impression he was sort of believed Egghead, but he was just in that place where he was like, I didn't know what else to do. So he, he goes and he delivers this prosthetic arm. And then it turns out that there's circuitry in it that allows Egghead to mind control her and take it over her body. And Egghead uses her as a hostage to force Hank to steal adamantium so that Egghead can build some sort of indestructible thing. And um, Hank ends up sort of saving the day because he signals the Avengers to come stop him. And they show up and they had no idea that he's going to be there. And so then we've got this confrontation where the Avengers are facing Hank and um, they defeat him barely. And uh, Egghead has set everything up so that there's no trace of Egghead's influence and the girl doesn't remember Egghead. She actually thinks that Hank Pym was doing this all and was controlling her himself. And so he basically sets up Yellow Jacket as the fall guy and the Avengers arrest him. And um, everyone thinks that he's be- he's become a supervillain. And that's where the issue leaves off. There's a pivotal point that you that you that you went over very early in the issue. Right after the meeting, they make her, uh, they, uh, make her the, the chairperson. They cut away to a scene where he's like desperate and he calls Tony Stark. I don't know if you remember this part. He yeah, calls yeah, Tony yeah. Stark. And there's a there's a there's a, a a secretary that's like filling in for Miss Habergash or whatever her name was, and she's oh yeah yeah I put you on hold and she puts on hold she starts doing nails and it's like a you know like a, a bubblehead and he and the money runs out and he has no more money and and there's, of course the line gets dropped and then Mrs. Habergash comes from from lunch and goes oh anything happened while I was powdering my nose and she goes oh yeah some guy named Tony. Uh, Hank Blum or something like that call. You mean Hank Pym? Uh, boss has been waiting for his call all this time. What happened? Oh, I don't know. I guess he, he hung up. And, he, and she's like, Stark is going to kill me. And that's so pivotal because if they, that call goes through, now everything, you know, he, he's swallowing his pride. He'll take the therapy and then it goes a different way. But the whole idea that that call didn't get, didn't get answered puts him in a bind. You know, so, I mean... And, and that's something else I want to know. You know, this whole thing about Tony, uh, that, that uh, Hank Pym was crazy and all this stuff. He only acted crazy in that court-martial. If you notice, after that, there's no more craziness. It's all like, you know, despair and whatever. But he's not acting irrational or, or violent or any of that stuff. Even here, he's down in his luck, but he's not acting aggressive or anything. As a matter of fact, you know, when, when he's at, trying to steal that adamantium for Egghead, he takes on the Avengers and has a pretty good showing there. I mean, it's, you know, he's he even, you know, he beats up a little bit of uh, 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 his ex-wife and he's like, he knows their weaknesses. So he's kind of taking them on. And this is Yellow Jacket against Thor and Iron Man. I mean, you know, he does a pretty good, you know, pretty good showing there. So it shows that he's capable. He's like the regular guy now, again. You know, it's almost like he had a bad period with the breakdown and now he's kind of coming back and then this happens. So now yeah. he's really in jail. He's not going to not gonna let him get away, walk away this time. You know, no. and that's that. Uh, so after this, we get um, 218. Is, is a complete fill-in issue. No Jim Shooter. Uh, nothing to do with this storyline at all. Um, yep. So I don't really have much to say about it. Uh, it's just, it's just an issue that happened. <laughs> yeah, it, dropped, it dropped out of nowhere. It dropped out of space. You know, it just. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I'm wondering if if who was behind the filling issues, because it's not the only one. There's about three or four that you could classify as filling issues. We're a different writer, different artist, and then like doesn't really have much to do with continuity. 
But I mean, this one with Jim Shooter. I mean, of course, as an editor in chief, he's a busy guy. Yeah, know? I think it's that important. was mainly it. One thing that's interesting is the same exact thing happened when he was on the Korvac saga. He had a couple fill-in issues, interrupted at 169 is just like a random fill-in issue. And then right at the get as they get to the end with issue, I think it's 176, uh, he's not writing it anymore. Right when they get to the end. And the same thing happens in this storyline. I think we're seeing here he's starting to struggle with keeping pace. And we're going to start to see issues after this where he's plotting it, but other people are doing the scripting and adding the dialogue over his plots before he completely drops off. Yeah. One thing that I find interesting is see in the, in the Korvac saga, I found those fill that fill in um, to be really jarring and out of place here though. I actually think most of the fill-ins are, are pretty good. This one's the worst of them. Uh, yeah. Most of them are pretty good, but I think it actually helps the pacing of the story to not have them happen one right after the other, but having these gaps where other things are happening and having it play out over a longer period of time. Yeah. I think when we go back to them, you know, it's not like Hank Pym's been in jail since last issue. It's that Hank Pym's been in jail for like five issues now, and now we're going back to him. And I think it actually weirdly helps to have some of these interruptions with stories that don't directly have to do with the story. Yeah. But you know, if you're following the book, you know it's lurking in the back of your mind. Like, I mean, this is the first of a, of a few of types of runs like this where I couldn't wait to read the next one. You know, I was literally like, wow, did the Avengers come out yet? You know, I want to see what's happened with Hank. You know, and, and sometimes when there's no Hank, I'm like, oh, you know, that's, I, I care more about the Hank story than I did about who they were fighting or whatever. So the next, we have a two-parter that doesn't directly have to do with the Hank storyline. So we won't spend too much time on it, but there's a couple things that are interesting because we get another parallel to Hank's arc. And then we also get some more mind control stuff because basically Moon Dragon's spaceship shows up and the Avengers feel compelled to get on it and it whisks them away. They get, there's a message, a weird message on there from Drax the Destroyer. And the ship whisks them back to this faraway planet where Moondragon has become this benevolent uh, savior to the planet. And um, she's like, oh, I'm calling you because I need your help because there's this civil war and everyone's going to kill each other and I don't have the power to stop them. And so the Avengers are like, OK, but they all feel like their their heads aren't right. They're being they're not sure about what they're thinking. They stop this so-called civil war. But Captain America's like, well, before we go back to Earth, let's just hang out in this nice paradise for a while because he really wants to investigate what's happening. And of course, it turns out that Moondragon is actually mind controlling the entire population of the whole planet to force them to be peaceful. And um, the Avengers have this dilemma. They don't think about it too much, but they have a bit of a dilemma where they're like, uh, if we give them free will, they're going to revert to warlike state and they're going to kill each other. But they decide, um, being good Americans, to give them the free will. Uh, and so they fight back. One of the big things in this story is that Thor is mind-controlled by Moondragon into becoming her love slave. And he only gets out of it because he turns back into Don Blake, who is not, who she's not controlling because she doesn't know it's the same person. And um, I'll just say there's a lot of this going on uh, in, this, in the series at this point. <laughs> um, not just the mind control, but it's like, ah, uh, it, it felt a little weird for Shooter to be dipping back into the mind control sex slave thing so soon after issue 200 when that blew up in his face. 
On the other hand, though, no one ever seems to have really cared that this happens in this issue. It's really only the last few years where I've heard some people going like, hey, wait a minute. Did you read that creepy thing in Avengers 220 with Thor? Because now that we think about it, that's messed up. It's alluded they have a scene where, you know, she's, oh, did you finish a nap? And he's like totally nude underneath the blanket. And I'm like, sheesh, you know, it, it, it was weird. It was weird. But, you know, I mean. It's my control thing. I don't know if you see that too much in comics these days. That's something no, that you I think back then. I don't read a lot of new comics, but I feel like uh, they've learned their lesson from these stories not to do that. Plus it's kind of sloppy. It's kind of lazy. Oh yeah, you got mind control. You know, it's it's much it's much hard. It's a much more interesting story if no one got mind control and they just did it, and it was a mistake or they chose to do something bad or whatever. You know. Yeah. We the more interesting thing is that it there's a sequence here where the Avengers have been sort of doubting themselves this whole run because of Mind Dragon Moon Dragon messing with them in issue two eleven. And we get them really talking about it here finally, where they're like, How do we how does anyone really know when they're controlling their own thoughts? And I felt like this was commentary on Hank Pym's mental health situation and i think that was made more another parallel that they use here is with drax because drax the destroyer is is being mind controlled to be a peaceful person and so they free him of the mind control and he goes he absolutely berserk into this murderous rage where he's going to kill his own daughter for mind controlling him and i think they were basically making him into a sort of cartoon version of what hank did in issue 213 to sort of, again, show another sort of mirror of that where he goes absolutely insane and, and tries to kill her. Wow. I didn't give it that much thought. I just figured Jack Destroyer, you know, that's what he does. Right? I might be overthinking it. I've been known to do that. <laughs> no, it's legit. I'm just saying, like, I just saw, you know, it, it's interesting because his nature is to be warlike. And Iron Man is the one that breaks him out of it because they're looking at a video and he's saying, hold on. You were there, and Captain America was just about to get killed. Why didn't you say something? Why didn't you just let, almost let him get killed? I mean, that's not you, you know. And and he kind of badgers him into way he goes, "Oh, I remember everything. She did this and whatever, you know." So yeah, it was, it's a weird book. Nice ending though, you know. They they said they can't take her to jail, so they say, "Well, we'll take her to Odin." Well, he'll, well, he'll yeah, I like that a lot. Stuff, you know. That was great when the, when Thor brings her to Asgard. There was another great scene earlier where. Um, Iron Man is his. He's being. He thinks he's being uh, manipulated by Moon Dragon and becoming angrier. But whatever the reason, there's a thing where he loses patience with Thor fighting back, and basically is like, "I'm gonna walk over your body to take her out." And he just like starts trash talking Thor. It's really great. Yeah, it was weird issue. I don't know the artwork. You know that Bob Hall got a little better, but it was still you know. It, it was it was a lot better actually than two or two thirteen, so you can see he's developing a little more talent. But he doesn't last long because they start bringing other artists in. Pretty yeah. much, you only see him. Uh, you know, again, he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready for the big time. But it looked like he was just putting anybody on these books. Yeah, it was just like every issue. Different. There's a new artist. Um, yeah. Did he give like five different plots to five different artists at the same time? And it's so, possible he may have. I think they said they did that with Alan Weiss's story because he's so slow at drawing that they gave him that plot a long yeah. time in advance
that's it for this episode of the Classic Comics Forum podcast. As always, I'd like to thank my guest, ICC Trombone, for joining me. Uh, next time around, we'll be talking about the final ten issues of The Fall of the Yellow Jacket, beginning with the, uh, the famous lineup change issue, 221, and then we really get into the heart of the storyline some great issues 224 in particular is a classic even the fill-ins like 223 are classics and then we have uh, the sudden change at the end of the run where after a number of fill-ins have interrupted the storyline Jim Shooter abruptly disappears and hands things off to Roger Stern to tie up the loose ends and actually figure out how to finish this storyline. So uh, we'll be discussing that. We'll be discussing the beginning of Roger Stern's run and how we feel Roger Stern did with all the stuff that Jim Shooter dumped in his lap. So hopefully you'll join us next time. Uh, We'll be about a month from now. We'll be posting the final episode here, and I hope you enjoyed this one. As always, you can join us online at classiccomics.org to join in the conversation. And thanks again for listening. Thank you.